You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads from the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go! Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where we are going to be diving into, using the bye week as a nice pause, the Seahawks defensive scheme or the defensive state kind of halfway through the season they've played 10 games now they're six and four they have seven games remaining this complicated uh 17 game season and griff and i are going to dive into the numbers we're going to explain explain some of the seahawks concepts on defense and we're going to tell you you know how different is that to last year and where can seattle improve moving forward so griffin in terms of the pass coverage, the pass coverage is fairly similar on a, on a macro level to last year uh, in terms of the concepts because everyone in the NFL runs the same coverages and they kind of fit the trends. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, when you try to bucket certain teams together, group them together, like, this team runs this kind of defense, that team runs that kind of defense. The way you do that really is, I think first you look at like two high versus one high usage, like the global rates there. Cause obviously there are different two high coverages, different one high coverages. Right. Um, and so, and then from there, maybe the other big global thing you look at is how often do they send pressure? Like how many times do they rush four versus rushing five or more? Um, Seattle this year, is for the most part doing what they did last year with regard to that. Um, last year, they were one of the most you know heavy to high usage teams. Um, they had like a rough 50-50 split, and this year they're the same. Um, they're blitzing a little bit less. So they, the Carroll teams, even before last year and the year before that even, they would always hover between like, well, under Ken Norton Jr., they hovered between like 20 and 30%. Well, 20 to 33%. Chris Richard got them up to like 20% when um, Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn were like 10 to 20%. So 
it, like it steadily went up every year. Um, and different reasons for that. I think Richard, Chris Richard did that because he had the, he realized he had the talent to play more cover one. So like in 2015, 16, 17, he was like, yeah, we can just play cover three all day. And they still could. But he said, let's play more cover one. And if you're going to play cover one, you get to toy around a little bit with, you know, how you send pressure, how you disguise things. You'd be remiss look, not to. Look how Dan Quinn's evolved in Seattle to make cover one basically his base coverage rather than cover three for the pressure reasons as well that you speak to. Right, for sure. So, and then Dan Quinn or then Ken Norton Jr. took over and then he um, kind of took that same base pressure rate and ran with it a little bit. Now, of course, he's not doing it from cover one usage because they lost a lot of their defensive back talent right in the depth Coleman maybe. got paid Coleman got paid you know they had Jamar Taylor at nickel they didn't really trust him so but they still wanted pressure now for also they lost pass rush talent too so they would send a lot of fire zones fire zone meaning uh you're rushing five instead of four and you're playing zone coverage behind it um and so that number would you know, be 24% one year, 28 the next, 33. Then last year it was 21. They dropped it down again. And then this year they've dropped it down even more. So there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I think, is that um, they like their four-man rush. That's part of it. Um, and then the, then the other is that um, they are not seeing the necessity and maybe this is a problem and maybe it will become more of a problem, but it's kind of jury's out at the moment. They're not seeing the reason to blitz the run as much. Now you were saying, well, you're blitzing the run that wouldn't enter the sample of, right. But you can blitz the run and it can be play action so that you've now blitzed the pass and that will be in the sample. So that's part of it. Um, but also they just don't feel the need to, to scheme up s certain situations as much um, up front. And I think they they just trust their the, the personnel on the back on the back end. But I think that's the, the core of it there. So those are the two main things. They're kind of living in the same general world as last year. So it's the changes therein where things get interesting. Yeah, to to your point about Ken Norton in twenty twenty one in particular running a lot of middle field open, as we've said in the podcast before, True Media had them running the fourth most middle field open in the league the fourth highest percentage and SIS had that as the fifth highest percentage. So this is something that they've been building towards anyway. And then, yeah, on the, on the blitz stuff, they, I think maybe the Buccaneers game was the first game where we were like, Oh, they could have probably worked in some more pressures to alleviate certain issues. Like, you know, the sea gap bubble and bear, uh, mm -hmm. you know, move the front, close that um, blitz into the teeth of a bootleg, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe going forward, if they do face teams, well, I, I think not even maybe, if they face teams where they expect, you know, or see any C-gap issues, teams will now know that counter, I mean, if they didn't already, which they should have done, but they'll, they'll try counter from heavy, say, 21 personal eye formation into the C-gap bubble of Seattle's bare front. And Seattle, <laughs> as I choke because it's so disturbing to me, <laughs> Seattle uh, will need to close this the sea gap bubble they'll need to have more schematic answers so i don't think they'll repeat the issues that they had in yeah. germany where they got uh taken by surprise by the buccaneers tenancy switch up right and and we'll go into with our trusty whiteboards um we'll go into like what the stock answers are for that sea gap problem when they're in their 
bare space fronts. Um, yes. Like what checks they have. And then also where the classic fire zone that Maddie's referencing here would also benefit. And they like, Maddie, you said this in the post game presser, not the post game presser, the post game recap and like the tape review of the Bucks game. They actually did throw one or two fire zones toward the end mm-hmm. to the C gap. Um, but again, and, you know, a little too little too late. And then, you know, as, as I uh, shameless plug here, but as I included in my Seahawks on tape Substack article reviewing the state of the Seahawks defense via Pete, the Buccaneers game, Pete Carroll's press conference, where I got to ask him some questions, and then a Jordan Brooks mic'd up segment, Seattle ran against the Giants a too deep four under fire zone out of bear to kind of, because they're worried about kind of, they're more worried going into that Giants game about kind of gap stuff. They actually didn't get the kind of counter runs, I think, that were to be expected, but they had a few more schematic tools for dealing with that approach than they did against Tampa Bay. So, similar to last season, and it seems like Seattle started awful on defense for quite a while, but Seattle started really bad on defense. Then they made some adjustments, which we'll get to. And then they're back, right? They're they're playing good defense. The Germany game is weird, but they still only gave up three touchdowns and one of those. There was offensive passing defense, let's call it now. Um, they waved that off bizarrely. So it wasn't too bad scoring points-wise, and I think really that's a kind of a freaky game where they just got caught out coaching-wise. And it wasn't right. the same issues. But it was actually like, rather than start of the season where you're like, they just cannot play. They're not executing. Mm-hmm. They're just playing bad. This was more of, uh, oh, you know, hats off to the Tampa Bay staff. Leftwich has called a great game here. This is a fantastic game plan. They had enough good plays schematically to get it done, along with, you know, execution being there as well. So, Griff, this turnaround, what, what does the date say? Yeah, so... Very similar to last year and eerie in that the turnaround, the statistical turnaround anyway, occurred in week six. So the first five games of the season were awful. Last year they were like last year they were like 26th in efficiency, the first five games. And then this year they were literally, I think, dead last or second to last. And then from weeks six to 10 last year so then the the six seven eight nine ten the five games following they were like seventh or eighth in total efficiency and then this year they're the same split they're fifth in epa per play total efficiency so they were they were even worse to start the year this year than they were to start the year last year then they're even better in this in the the five weeks following compared to uh, the five weeks following last year. So it's kind of a weird inversion, but the theme is the same started bad and then you get really good. And this year they've gotten even better than they got last year at this through to this point of the season. Um, so yeah, standing right now, they're fifth in total EPA per play second in success, right? These stats are from, um, rbsdm.com, uh, Ben Baldwin's site. It's a really good resource. Um, they're eighth in EPA per drop back. Fifth in since- drop. Since week since, six. Yeah. since week six. And the reason why I'm choosing this is because like they were as bad as bad can be. I'm not saying like don't look at the total sample. I'm only saying this is where the theme picks up. So well, I'm not saying well, also, this is Griff, where they are. Griff, more than that, we, I have it on very 
good authority that week six is when the change happens, which we'll get right. to the change. Exactly, yeah. So eighth in EPA per dropback, fifth in dropback success rate, and then fourth in EPA per rush and first in rush success rate, meaning they're the opposing success rate is is 32nd of the league. So for the defenses, you flip it first, right? So um, it's like it, it mirrors last year. Um, and then if you break it down by down, so last year, even like from week six on through the whole season, um, week six through 17, 18, whatever, um, they on first downs, um, they were... They were top 10 versus the rush, the rush, the run in EPA and success rate. And then they were like eighth against the pass. So there was kind of this thing going around where Seattle was bad on early downs and then just really good on third downs. But really, they were good on first downs. They were mildly above average on third downs and then horrible on second downs. Um, and that idea came from, well, if it's second and five, and you you can you defend the second and third levels really well, but you don't defend the first level really well. And you play your same scheme that you did on first and ten, then the check down is going to convert a first down every time or close enough to it, right? And your your efficiency is going to be horrible. But if you can survive second down, the chances of them converting on you in third down is poor. And if it does, then it's like the same proposition over again. So that's why those long drives were sustained against them. Um, they had the same themes over this period, this since week six figure split period, where they're amazing on first downs, they're mildly above average on third downs, and they're not as good on second downs. However, they're still like 10th on second downs. So while they're not like, I think they're like third in total efficiency on first downs right now, that still falls to 10th. It still suggests they have the same kind of issue, but you still will take 10th over literally bottom five last year right um so that's why i feel like this bucks game isn't um isn't as much of a isn't as much of like a breakdown game as that cardinals game was last year after that packers game last year because their numbers on each down are good and it's not just one thing carrying them it's like they're just kind of good everywhere at the moment so things are bound to catch up um and again like you said like that bucks game lapse was really the way that they lost it it's really not something that they're going to see again, where a team just 180s their philosophy and scheme on you. Um, so like, that's like, cause again, like when we broke it down, they defended well, what they expected. So theoretically, if they get a beat on what teams do, they're going to defend them well. Like they, they defended the Tampa Bay bucks with Tom Brady on it. Well, in the areas of scheme that they expected to see, right. It's so, like, there's commentary there. Um, so, um, and I think, I don't know, Maddie, why do you think that they have kind of resolved their second down problem? Why, why do you think that they're, that they're better there? Cause they're still good on first downs. They're still good on third downs. Why are they now better at second downs? Even if not dominant, but better. Well, I mean, there's obviously a lot of factors, but I think it's hard not to go to the main reason being that technique change up front, which we, uh, we were DMing after watching the Cardinals game. Even like the live copy, and we we're like, wait, they're doing the techniques up front, which they did last year, and they're not doing the Vic Fangio style uh, two four eye techniques in the bare front, where we're gonna mirror step, uh, kind of two gap, there's one and a half gaps, but basically two gap, and 
play on the inside shoulder of a tackle. We're going to go back to last year in the bare front where even if we're playing middle field open behind it, so a too high structure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to play as often as we can get away with two, three techniques flanking the head up nose tackle and play on the outside side of the guard, power step, and play a lot more one gapping and forward style. And even when they bump to a four eye technique, so back to the inside side of the guard, say because there's a tight 10 there, say because they're on the open side of the formation and they've bumped the, they've walked in the edge player out to cover down on a slot say, to buy time for a, a safety behind them, fitting from a quarter, a deep quarter, even then their eyes and their, their uh, was something you brought up to, and their play is just seems more downhill and through the tight end, even if they are st- still looking to play that one and a half gap deal. Now, this change has been alluded to multiple occasions by Pete Carroll. It's been alluded to by Clint Hurt. Quandre Diggs mentioned it. Miles Adams told me in the locker room that um, they uh, after the uh, Tampa Bay game that he this is something the players wanted. Quinton Jefferson, I believe, had some quotes on the subject as well. Like they shifted back to how they were doing it in previous years. It's and as Carol said, it suits their guys better. It's just what worked. It's cool that it's what Ken Norton Jr. was doing. What he learned with Pete at USC and it just it's just working it's it's just working regardless of whatever your philosophy is schematically like it's working so they'll they'll stick with it but for me Griff that is the the deal they they change the techniques up front on the bare stuff so which as as you're saying lets them be more aggressive and generate more negative plays and and even if you're you're not getting a sack or killing the play outright with pressure, you're forcing them to check the ball down sooner, and then you can go and um, go tackle the check down before it hurts you. Or, or if they do get the ball out and they want to challenge you at the second or third level, pressure is going to, on average, in all likelihood, cause more inaccurate throws, and you can defend that better. So. Um, the, you know, there are, there are dividends everywhere to that, but I mean, like really like the pass rushes came alive and that's, and then also, you know, just the young guys are contesting more, you know, they're being able to squeeze routes down so that there's some, there's some really interesting things going on here. Um, yeah. So, so on the pass rush coming yeah. back, is that because they're in more, uh, more like second and longs? That's a good question. Um, I mean, with improved run defense, absolutely. That's, that's what you yeah, think, right? Right. I mean, that has that has to. I haven't actually looked at those numbers, but I feel like that has to be part of it. I don't know how frequently teams are running on them or passing on them on first and ten now compared to when they were. Um, but if you're if the average first and ten literally goes for like one point five yards now or whatever it is for them, 
then yeah, you get to you get to bring out your guys on second along, give them passing situations. Um, I think on an individual basis, and it's probably stems to the systemic overhaul that you're talking about. Daryl Taylor came alive after like doing nothing for the first month. Now, now he's doing stuff. Um, Nwosu continues to be a monster, but then like the interior three, you know, with the technique change, they're just dominating guys. They're getting one on ones. Um, you know, they can play more. You know, they can knife gaps. You know, the ball get off is better. Puna Ford is an impact pass rusher now. They're getting what they paid for to Quentin Jefferson. You know, so like even on run downs, if it if they do keep pass, they're in a better situation to do it. If you have Aaron Donald, you can put him in any technique, in any stance, have him has put his eyes anywhere. It doesn't matter. And it can be a pass when he's expecting run. They're in a run front. He'll still get pressure because he's Aaron Donald. Same thing goes for Akeem Hicks when Vic Fangio had him. Same thing went for when Vic Fangio had Justin Smith in San Francisco. It's like some guys, it doesn't matter what positions you put them in. They're going to perform anyway. In Seattle's case, Puna Ford is a mildly above average passer, interior pass rusher. Quentin Jefferson is mildly above average. You know, if Al Woods gets one-on-one with the center, he's going to bull rush him. Same thing for Brian Mona, right? So it's like, but when everybody on the line can perform to that level, you know, if you have five guys that are mildly above average on the defensive line at any one point, you know, at worst, right? Because Nwosu is well above that, right? For example, if you have five of those guys, there's no weak spot. So someone might get through any given snap. And like, this is the definition of an ensemble rush. Like it's not two, three guys just decimating like it was with Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and Chris Clemens, right? Now it's just everybody's getting like a certain minimum threshold of pressure. And with, again, with one or two guys exceeding that. But um, I think I think that's kind of what we're seeing. And and there's just this downstream effect of, of confidence. Um, so, but some, some numbers though, unless Maddie wanted to jump in. Well, before the numbers, I should also say that the technique change which happened since week six, I've seen the comments someone saying uh, they're two gapping last week. Is that why they got hurt by the run? No, the, the technique change up front with the with the bare fronts so when you have five guys down at the line of scrimmage, that happened notably on tape week six, Arizona. And I may have had it confirmed to me that that, that was when it happened. Um, or may, may not. And... Um, what that also does is it helps out the linebackers behind because I, for whatever reason, and Brooks in college had, as, as we're speaking about off air, Griffin, he had a great tape of playing off four way mirror stepping, kind of two gapping guys playing a gap to C gap in that tight front, like the spread tight front college football edition. He had all of that. Barton did a bit of that in college as well, but for whatever reason, the linebackers, as soon as Seattle's moved back to this more one-gapping, power-stepping approach up front in the Bear deal, the linebackers are playing quicker, they're taking the shots more, they're kept clean more reliably. They're not having to sort of dance off a guy who, well, he could pop into the B, but he could get into the C, or he, what gap is he going to go? It's just that the picture is clearer for them, and they're taking advantage of it. And Yeah. So they're, it's really they're, helped the second level too. They're literally allowed to charge up field when before they're playing stack track fallback almost, not quite because they still have one gap principles, but almost like ball fit philosophy where you're not fitting a gap anymore. 
you're fitting the running back based off of based off of how the blocker in front of you is doing so it's subjective now and you and that f- asks of you to play more laterally and you know press one gap and then be ready to fall back so because the timing and chemistry just wasn't there with that it, it, it wasn't there and like you have to keep your depth so that you can go behind your defensive tackle if needed you don't get to go charge and and hit a gap you know unless it's unless you are gapped out but so often or in one high defense that is um because you can be gapped out and be in a two high defense but to make that work you have to toy with the techniques like what you're talking about and it just wasn't working um but what they're doing now is working like they can get the linebackers playing aggressively in too high structure and not not be unsound not that last gap is still accounted for somehow um so so give me the numbers griff what, what all right so so this this is where it gets really funny because I'm going to present something that is identical to last year, and then we're going to talk about how that can possibly how they are still able to be better on second down. So last year they were seventh in EPA per target to what receivers and tight ends from the week six on mark, and then they were like bottom five against running backs. The other way to look at it is that they were like. I think they were sixth on EPA per drop back on passes that traveled over five yards last year. And then like, again, bottom five on targets that went below five yards. So the conclusion there is they defend the second and third level really well. And then the, they can't defend the check down or they can't defend running backs or screens. Um, now we, we are, we, posited endlessly last year that that was because that wasn't an inability to defend the running back skill set so much as it was like a symptom of not having enough pass rush because then the the play would extend and the the line the second level would be literally further away from the check down it became like a geometry problem like it was literally just proximity so this year despite being way like literally a bottom five team to a above average team on second down where the check down would hurt them the most. This year, they are, again, sixth in EPA per dropback versus receivers and tight ends, and somehow 32nd in the league against running backs. So they have the same problem. So how mathematically are they improved on second down? Well, this is how. The target rate last year on check down throws last year, or throws below, let's just say nine yards, they were 73% of their targets went there, which was like, top five in the league of how frequently they were targeted below nine yards this year they're 60 they're being targeted 65 percent of the time so they've dropped like eight percent and now they're like clustered with the median which is still high but that's where most throws go right they go short hmm. they're they have increased the rate that they've been targeted at the intermediate they've gone up to 24 percent this year and they were 16% last year. Last year, the target rate to the intermediate 16% was like the second lowest in the league. Just nothing was open. They didn't even bother. This year, they're clustered in the middle again at 24%, but they're still defending it really well. So the wow. question is, so that's how they're getting the numbers. They're just as bad defending the first level this year as they were last year, but they're not being targeted at the first level as, as frequently. So the question is, why are they being targeted more at the second level? And the only question, the only way I know how to answer it is that the way they're playing cover three now, they're playing cover three roughly at the same rate. But the way they play cover three now that they're playing, you know, they're matching two seams. 
while the coverage is good, one-on-one -on -one looks are perhaps more targetable, even if they're covered. And I think quarterbacks are seeing, okay, I'll give my guy a chance. And then just their defenders are simply winning at the catch point and a combination of pass rush is causing more inaccurate throws at the second level. That's the only reason how yeah. I can think is otherwise. And yeah, that's, I was going to say the pass rush is, perhaps better and so it could be a it could be evidence of the pass rush actually doing work to prevent the quarterback getting to the third or tertiary the check down that's a deal. good point that's a good point um they're just not also, holding the ball on on yeah yeah and instead of holding the ball but then they yeah the cover three thing as you've put in the notes as well i guess you know it, it's it clamps up on the running back a bit more in the flat it's not it's uh not always going to be encouraging the check down like it, like you've said it's gonna perhaps cover a check down tightly depending on how they match it up like um they that's the big change which happened from the start of the season and they've gone with throughout is they're running fangio's style of cover three where it is similar to ripley's nick saban match where they match both seams as you've said yeah now there is one caveat to this so last year they were a like a bottom three team defending screens within the running back targets this year with the screen. If you filter in just screens to running backs, they're like defending them at the ninth best. So like they're defending screens better, which actually matches an anecdotal view of the tape. I think Yeah, it's just, definitely. It's, it's the non screen targets to running backs that they can't defend. So really it's, it's the, the check downs and dropbacks that right. they, that they're having. They still have a spacing issues. Now I would argue though, that they've been better spaced for them. They just aren't tackling it. Like last year, it was a proximity problem, not a tackling problem. This year, feels like the opposite. Like Kobe Bryant probably has five missed tackles in the flat. Um, Brooks has had a couple of where he's had to come from way Neil far out. Brian Neal, a few. Um, Cody Barn actually doesn't have many missed tackles. He has one really bad one that stands out in mind in that Detroit game. But beyond that, he actually isn't missing tackles. Mm. And that wasn't, um, that wasn't so much in the flat. That was like just not keeping up with the crosser. Right. Um, so it's just a little bit of uh, the, the kind of the same things going on, but the way that offenses are attacking them and maybe it's a positive effect of having better pass rush. I thought it would be the other way around, but offenses still want to go to the second level like you said if they see a read but they feel pressured they're 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 hurrying the throw at the intermediate as opposed to hurrying themselves to get to the the check down i guess um that's fascinating yeah it is it, it was it was really revealing so um schematically though they're still 50 50 and i the main difference though is they're playing less cover two and they're playing even more cover six or technically cover eight this year so last year they were they ran um they ran half quarter quarter cover two to the strength quarters backside at like the eighth highest rate which was only like 14 percent of their snaps but was still really high this year they're running it at 27 percent of their snaps so really they chewed into almost all of their cover two snaps and replaced it with even more cover six which is good for the second highest rate of the again league that, the league. that matches the tape but I think yeah. maybe there's a spattering of plays where it it actually was cover two, but you don't realize because it they run so much cover six. But 
I I could like it seems like a handful of cover two plays for this season. It's all quarter quarter half or half quarter quarter. Right. And they only play quarters and like base when they're in the true three four base. Like as in pure, cover four, you mean? As in cover four, like quarters to both sides, and they just don't play a lot of three four base. So they therefore they don't play a lot of pure quarters. Yeah, because they're so, almost they're always clouding one side. Yeah, making so, it cover six. So digging into the main calls, seemed at the start of the season with the techniques going on up front. They basically had the bare front where they'd do quarter, quarter, half and send the wheel. So tight wheel six, which is like Fangio's main base answer for stopping 21 personnel, a bit of 12, but mainly 21 personnel eye formation stuff. And then their switch up was uh, tight saw fire zone where they'd send both edges and then play three deep three under uh, coverage behind it. But with the technique tweak up front, and I think them sort of finding their rhythm, anecdotally, it seems they've moved more towards running more like cover three and less tight wheel six. But they are playing know, a lot of so little base that it's hard to really draw yeah. a conclusion from that. I'd have to go through and chart. But I think the big thing is just. With these, with the three four base where they're running bare, they just they change the techniques and it's helped them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do we want to get into whiteboard stuff? Yeah, yeah, go like, for it. All right, let's dig straight into nickel. Okay, so nickel is um, where there's a fifth defense back on the field. Seattle's nickel that is Kobe Bryant, obviously. Now, the big thing this season in 2022 is what player leaves the field because historically with Seattle, the Sam linebacker would leave the field in the 4-3 and they very rarely changed that up. That was always the convention that moved from a 4-3 into a 4-2-5 personnel grouping. Heck, sometimes if you really wanted to get uh, pedantic, you could say it was a 3-3-5 because the Sam moved down to defensive end. But really, it's a 4-2-5. Now, this year, because Seattle is, uh, oh, actually last year as well, Seattle had this thing called Falcon, which was their nickel bare front, where the Will linebacker played down as the fifth guy at the line of scrimmage. You remember Jordan Brooks was doing that? And they had a middle linebacker behind, and then they had their nickel. So that's still technically 45 personnel, but in a... In it's, a in a five one five three kind of look. Right. Now now this year because Seattle's a three four team, and because they're really embracing the bare looks, we get a bit funkier with with the nickel stuff. And there's a few more different looks. Yeah. So this is I don't know I don't know how convenient this is, and this only works for the YouTube crowd anyway. No, um, that, that's perfect. So Griffin's holding up a drawing, perfect. which you should check out on YouTube. Uh, it's at Matty F. Brown. But if you are listening, it's a five down front with, um, which we, we that would be called. Well, it, you've driven, you've you've drawn a bear front. That would be called Griff. You've drawn a five one five, right? Yeah, this is five one five. So right. th- th- this is like their main. 
this is their main um like kind of nickel call really and i, I drew this up against two by two formation where meaning you've got two receiver two eligible receivers on one side two on the other side and then i didn't draw the quarterback and running back but you have the running back in the backfield to be your fifth eligible um and so the the main consideration and so this is i didn't draw the coverage rules but this would be the main call we'd see here would be half quarter quarter so to the nickel side right there so you've got the cornerback here playing a flat so he's your cloud flat flat defender and then you've got the free safety playing a half so he's gonna like if both the slot defender and the and the X receiver are vertical, he's going to play like midpoint them, and and play the deepest route, and then be ready to break on the ball um, if the quarterback throws. The nickel, the nickel is kind of playing the vertical hook where he if if number two is in the seam, or say he goes under, or say he goes under that way, he's going to get depth and look for kind of like to 10 to 15 yards, look for an inbreaker for the number one receiver, which is the X. Or he might, if the, if the seam, if the slot goes up the seam, he would kind of inside carry th that um, slot defender. Now, Ugo Amadi would almost completely man turn with that and like get in the hip pocket. Now, Kobe Bryant. Me too. Kobe Bryant isn't. Now, he's getting a lot of depth and he's peaking the receivers, but he's almost maintaining a pedal and staying like square to the line of scrimmage and i think the reason why they can get away with that is because the pass rush has improved mm. so that ball is coming out sooner although although in uh in last two games he's been showing a bit of outside leverage matching and running with it which yeah. so it's obviously a game plan thing now yeah. up to that point on the front griffin's calling it a five on five which it it basically is However, I, the the Fangio tree would consider that uh, three three five because the two edge defenders are technically outside linebackers, and they you might have heard that called penny personnel, um, right. which uh, just for the for the sake of being nerdy. Now, as Griff says, they have the half quarter quarter. Which, were you talking through? And the quarter, quarter, half. And because Griff's drawn right. it up to two by two, I mean, it depends what side they call the strength off. But basically, that's their main deals where you get cover four to the strong side, cover two to the weak side, or you get cover two to the strong side, cover four no, uh, yeah. to, the, to the weak side. And, and half, quarter, quarter, Seattle would call cover eight. And quarter, quarter, half, Seattle would call cover six. But in nickel, cover six is called stuff, which is confusing because uh, in, in other systems, stuff is cover eight. Yeah, it does get confusing. Okay, but so finish it off really quick. You've got the Mike, who would be Jordan Brooks, right there in the middle, right? The M. God, can I? All right. Yeah. He plays so the A-gaps. He, he plays the A-gaps. He kind of fits off the nose. Um, if you've got pullers, you know, he has to track the puller. But in coverage, he's playing the middle hook. And if the running back, if the running back pretend he's in there, if he goes strong, if he goes strong that way, he would have Brooks would push to the imaginary hash. That's definitely on this whiteboard. And he would look for inbreakers from the slot or the X receiver. Um, and he's and been really good. Hook. The middle hook. Yeah. And he's been really good at sussing out um like dagger combinations this year yeah um 
Now on the backside, they're playing quarters. So the cornerback kind of like cover three technique is just playing, you know, he's responsible for the, the deep route from Z. And then the safety is playing a quarter on the Y receiver. So if he goes vertical, he's got him. If he goes underneath, he's looking to rob the number one and get double coverage with the corner. If this was trips formation where the tight end is on the other side, then this guy is looking to poach front side and he plays the final three that would come this way. Mm. And Brooks is free to just kind of, you know, look again, look for inbreakers. Now they can game plan that and mm. they can have the strong safety who would be Neil double coverage the one if he's a problem. And then Brooks would be the one to close off the middle of the field. So they can do different things. But I think the main discussion here is you feel you're good. The reason why you play this is that you feel good against verticals because you've got two deep safeties and you have different ways to cover all of it, right? And then your front, you're in a big bear front so you can stop the run. So you feel balanced. You're like, okay, we can take care of explosives and we can defend the run. That's kind of the statement you're making. And then you have the, the techniques between your nickel and Mike, they can help contest things and match routes in the intermediate, right? The main drawback from this picture is that in a four-man rush, your spacing is bad. It's not as good as a four down front. And why is that? Is because, well, you're not rushing all five every time. You're, one of them has to drop. So if you drop one, that means if, if you drop this guy, which is who you're dropping most of the time, that end, then that means these four are rushing. The problem there is three of the four guys are 300 pounders and most 300 pounders aren't good pass rushers. And then even then, this guy has to expand out to the C gap to get your contain. And it's like, so you have a personnel problem and a spacing problem. So your four man rush is really bad. And if the whole purpose of playing a two high shell is to defend the pass, well, what if your pass rush is so bad that it undoes the, the efforts in the back end, right? Like it's kind of, it's like, uh, you know, robbing Peter to, to, to pay Paul a little bit, you know, like you gotta, something's gotta give. So this is where, this is where you have to, this is kind of where the magic is made and where Clint Hurt the last four weeks has been making his money. Because yeah. the Nick, so so how you do that is, okay, you've got five guys, at least toy with who the fourth rusher is, make the offense guess or, or and, don't let them. And, and that's ahead. important as well because like you, you, if they start realizing what side you, you're rushing from, which is one of the downsides to, I think, what happened in 2021, despite Ken Norton's best efforts, I think often just started working out what side the fourth rusher was coming from. But mm -hmm. when you have five guys down the line of scrimmage, the stock protection call you'll get is man protection. They'll, they'll go big on big and they'll use one offensive lineman for each of the five guys down at the line of scrimmage. Now you have to mix it up. You have to do, uh, if you're rushing four, you can take advantage of that man coverage and take and try and negate the disadvantageous rush angles and disadvantageous, you know, three, 300 pounders rushing by running games and picks and rubs right. to separate against those protections. And Griff, uh, uh, Clint Hurt has done a good job of that, really. He has, yeah. So, like, he, so to the side of like you said you're either you're you're most likely forcing man protection to the side that you are um the edge that you are rushing to you are to ensure that he gets a clean one-on-one -on -one. so either either you've done a good enough job 
and and toying with who the fourth rusher is and who the seventh dropper is of your two outside linebackers, like who's coming and who's dropping. If you've done a good enough job with that, you've probably forced man protection. And that means you get a one-on-one. So at least that liberates the guy that you are rushing to get the best chance possible to give your collective four-man rush the best chance. If you haven't done that, then and they've figured out who's rushing and who isn't, then that means they're probably half sliding or maybe even four-man sliding to that side. As the contingency, four-man sliding to the edge edge rusher that is rushing. The contingency for that is, in this picture, who regardless of who's rushing and who's dropping, to whatever side that is, the near three technique. So if this is, that this guy, if this guy's, this edge, this outside linebacker is rushing, the near three technique to as the contingency against the offensive line sliding that way and which would negate the one-on-ones you're getting. Instead, you get four on three instead of one-on-one everywhere. This three technique is stunting that A-gap so that the guard feels compelled to kind of stay heavy on him. Even if he's sliding, he would give a little help. And then as he is stunting that A-gap, the nose tackle, he is going over it. And one, that's just good. It's a good twist movement. That's um, if it is man protection, it's hard on on a twist, interior twist or hard on man protection. But also it ensures that this edge, that guy, can just keep his one-on-one at all at all times. So if you watch and he, them, and- he's your he's your best rusher. Like you don't again, you want him to have the easiest job, really, because he's your main rush threat. Right. So both of those elements, toying with who's rushing and who isn't, and then when you do rush, having the the three technique and the nose to the side of the edge rusher run that twist gives them the best chance. And if you guys watch the games and you see, okay, Taylor just dropped Nwosu rushed, the three technique to Nwosu's side is spiking that A-gap. And then either Al Woods or Mona is, is looping over him. And they do that every time. Now, the question of how do they play with who's rushing and who isn't, I messed up the picture here a little bit, but the offense would look at this picture, look at the two high shell presentation, and they would say, assuming that they maintain that pre-snap two high look, I know that this guy's rushing and that guy isn't. And that's because if he isn't, if he isn't rushing and you're dropping him, you're then saying, okay, that means he would have to go to the he would have to go to the middle. I can't do this. Good Lord. Yeah. He he would have to drop to the middle. The mic would have to drop a week and then the nickel would stay where he is. And there's no way you're going to have him in a two high shell play the middle hook and basically run down the middle. There's just no way. And there's no one covering down on, on the wide tight end on the other side. They, right. You're, you're asking him to get all the way out. That's impossible. The numbers don't match. He has to fit an a gap. He can't, he can't do that unless you're disguising lots and, Teams know that Seattle don't doesn't really do it like that. So right, so therefore they know who's rushing. They know this guy's rushing, and they know this guy's dropping. So Clint Hurt has to ask himself, how do I force them to believe that he's rushing? And it's a four man rush. Like we're not talking about five man rushes yet, which is part of that answer. The way to do it is okay. We are going to drop him, but then that means the coverage shell has to change so that he indeed is not running down the middle. And then that's where you get the bonus fire zones, Maddie, that you've talked about endlessly. Yeah. So I believe I believe with with, with what you've drawn up is perfect, really, because 
they have a call called uh, Penny Whiskey, where the weak outside linebacker drops. Uh, they play cover three. Now, it's they play a cover three fire zone, so the three underneath players, one of them is playing the seam curl flat matching up on the number two. The linebacker Brooks is playing in the middle hook. He's relating to the three. And the nickel is the nickel is relating to his two in the seam curl flat. And so from that same look, they can drop the other outside linebacker, rush the other outside linebacker. And the dropping outside linebacker, what makes it a bonus fire zone is he just doesn't have a job, really. He just drops in a bonus hook, which really helps out the uh, the nickel because the nickel knows, like, I can kind of overplay the vertical and overplay the out because I've got this help to the inside. It's mm-hmm. in like a it's like a really underneath help layer uh, just, to, right. just to alleviate some stress and, like, f- force you not to have to worry about, like, a short throw or the check down. Right. And this is like the perfect example of how Penny's uh, Penny Eight and uh, Penny Whiskey they alternate off each other. They they right. both work together. And it's 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 their main changeup call to their main look out of the five one five look. And so something to watch for when you're watching a game is, hey, are they in this five down look with a nickel out there? Oh, did the end to the nickel rush or did the end to the nickel drop? And I bet guarantee you if the end to the nickel rushes, it will be a middle field open look. And if right. the end to the nickel drops, it will probably be kind of middle field close looking. Now, this is technically not a bonus fire zone because that's the 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 spacing of the coverage is identical though, which is what I should have said earlier. But they do this changeup call often enough that over the course of a game when offenses are charting and scouting defenses, the threat of either linebacker rushing is established. So not only does it help them in the moment, but it helps the rusher that is rushing. They're benefited by the fact that they're probably forcing man protection. So like there's a systemic effect here and then it makes you know the coverage better and then it makes the, uh, you know, it, it just it, it affects everything, but that's like their main first down behavior, um, and uh, that's how that's how the, that's how they're able to maintain a four man rush really when they are in bare spacing, um, because again the whole point of them playing the amount of two four or four two looks that they were doing this year was to get pass rush, and it clearly like the whole big picture wasn't working, so they retreated like you said to the techniques and stuff that they did last year. And then they're left with the same problem. Well, you're disadvantaged in pass rush. So this is how these things that the stunt and toying with who the rusher is and who the dropper is, is how they're able to win back the, the, the lost advantages of the, of the pass rush when they're in it. Now, the other, the other thing without, I'm not going to get into it at all. The other thing is you just rush both of them. And then you spin down Ryan Neal, and then he's just playing basically a match on that seam, and you have three deep and three under fire zone. And that's the other way you establish it. And you can get into your fire zone rules really easily because you're now a Ripley's team and cover three, you're carrying both seams anyway. You're just losing a hook defender. Yeah, I believe, um, and 
you know, Coach Vass obviously does great work. And if you haven't checked him out and you're into this scheme side of it, you should. And a lot of my fan geo knowledge comes from Vass. So check him out. But I believe he, he was saying that Capers and therefore Fangio, they learn cover three like from their fire zones yeah they 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 like did it backwards so they came up with the fire zone first and then they installed the cover three and so they they just ran cover three matching wise so there we go yeah Um, now we we have we've talked for a while griff and there are still other calls to get into if you enjoyed this, let us know, and we will we'll dive into this other calls at a later date at some point. We, I we think their three three five mint stuff, or um, we have their that two four five nickel kind of deal, um, which is actually a really major part of the defense, which we've just yeah. run out of time on. But I think what we could do is we could also just spend looking at basic runs against these fronts and how they fit it. <laughs> And like, oh, we, we could t- definitely spend time doing because yeah. when, when we talk about like bubble issues, which we did a little bit, we spent a lot of time in the, the, the Bucks tape podcast. We can do the same thing with the whiteboard, each of us, and we can show where the bubble becomes a huge problem in certain fronts, like in, against certain runs. Like, we can do that, like an episode dedicated to that as well. Um, yes, sir. Right now, Michael Slicker. You said, Matty, can you please say water bottle? I hope that I hope that satisfied you. You better like the video after that. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back on Sunday with our reaction to the Raiders game. Do they play the Raiders? Yeah, uh, predictions. We didn't. We didn't even preview them. The Raiders are bad. The Seahawks. Oh, the Raiders. The Raiders are rather bad. Yes. One thing Although, to look for that game is Max Crosby versus Abraham Lucas is a, the biggest test of Abraham Lucas's life hmm. so far. And the cover eight kind of deal that Griffin has broken down for us, they'll probably try and run that to Devontae Adams. There are also tools that Seattle has in their system to basically make sure they play the cover two side to the threat. Uh, and, and and bracket him kind of deal uh, if he's in the slot with like a cover four look. And I, I'm sure we'll see that. It was kind of wild, actually. Denver, they kind of just let Sertan get it done against Adams, and at the end, he got done. But um, that was an interesting one to play out, given that Denver is a similar system to Seattle. I don't think Seattle will do that. So that will be a great matchup. But the uh, the spread for this game is Seahawks Raiders spread. The Raiders are plus 3.5 underdogs, which that feels generous given they're three and seven and it's in Seattle. But um anyway. The, the uh, ESPN predictor thinks the Raiders have a 51.4% chance of winning to Seattle's 48%. Wow. With- now... With well, a maybe... 0.6% chance of a tie. Yes. And what what's really good about this game, I guess, is the Raiders found something against Denver in, in that they were running 21 personnel, I-formation, counter, and gap-style runs, which, oh my word, that's similar to what Tampa Bay did to Seattle. So 
this is can be a redemption game for Seattle in that sense and the coaching staff for carrying more answers for that and then also defending Devontae Adams. But uh, uh, Las Vegas' defense looks awful. Like, I, I, they're, they're in that very much Patrick Graham year one phase where they they can't really get into the things they really want, want to do yet. Mm. And they're still sort of finding their way. And they're also just talent deficient in key areas. They just can't overcome it. So then again, they are running a more middle field closed, I think. And so with Seattle's issues against that kind of deal, like on offense, struggling, getting slow against like cover three bars, maybe that crops up again. Did you do a prediction, Griff? I'm going to do it right now. Oh, do it right now. Um, Do it right now. You won't. 31-7 Seahawks. No way. That was my prediction. No, real prediction is 34-10 Seahawks. Wow. The the over-under is 47.5. I would take the under on that. Yeah, Again. that that seems crazy high, especially you know, given I'm saying it's going to be thirty-one seven to Seattle. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Please do like the video, subscribe to the channel, follow the Twitter at Seattle Overload, follow Griffin at C Mike Spinmove, follow our producer at Ty Dane Gonzalez, follow me at Matty F Brown. Leave a five star review. We had some really nice reviews, like they're. They're very nice. Thank you. And uh, tell a friend about the podcast. Keep downloading the podcast. Keep, Keep us overloading.